0: Well, you might have picked up a few clues um, along the way of what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm looking at one name of Jesus, um, and it's been mentioned a few times. It's Emmanuel. Only only one name um, in this passage that we're looking at in the book of Matthew. So it's part of the story of Jesus' birth. And In in Matthew's whole account, but especially in this bit, he's pausing at at little times to point back to how Jesus fulfills prophecy. And so in this passage that we're going to read, it's a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. Um, But each each of the stories that he tells in his account and each of the prophecies are giving evidence or showing us what he thinks we really need to know about who Jesus is. So let's look at the passage for today. Um, If you've got a Bible or an app, or if you want to go to Bible Gateway um, website, you can look up Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Sorry, I didn't make a PowerPoint today. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom he was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. "'Joseph, son of David,' the angel said, "'do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins.'" All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So the Messiah in Jewish understanding was not God. He was a man who was going to be sent by God, anointed by God to save the people. Yet in this passage, we see a few things that Matthew's telling us about Jesus. First is, he says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. So he's saying, he is the Messiah. Um, He's also saying, name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. So that's another thing that he will do. And the third name is, call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so if you were a first century, well, I don't know what you call these actually, if you were a Jew at the time, this would have been really controversial because the Messiah was not meant to be God. He was just meant to be the Messiah, the person saving, saving the people. But, but he, Matthew here is linking it to this prophecy to say Jesus is God with us. And it would have been, it would have been absolutely crazy, controversial, like, uh, game-changing. And I think it was for them, but it should actually be for us too. If we let this really sink in, if we actually understood what it meant for Jesus to be God walking among us, that—that that is crazy stuff. So at Christmas we celebrate the time when the creator of the universe, the one who hung the stars, who set ecosystems in motion, who wrote our DNA, who gave us our breath, He stepped into creation as one of us, God with us. And you might have heard those words a few times before in your life, or it might be a completely new concept to you. But either way, it's easy. It's really easy to say God with us. It's just three short words, really little, rolls off the tongue easily. But to actually let it sink in and change us and to have bearing on our day-to-day life, that's a really hard thing to do. So I always like, sorry, every time you get me, you get the big picture. So we always step back and we look at, um, at, the, at the big story, this in the context of the big story. So we live in a, in a good world, a world made good by a loving God, but then made corrupt by humanity's rebellion. In God's original design, people were made to be with God. We see them walking in the Garden of Eden with God. But humanity's first rebellion, also called sin, was the moment of separation between people and God, between his way and their way, between them and him. The prophet Isaiah spells it out much later in Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. And history as told in the Bible is this epic story of how through any human effort, through religion or morality or technology or any human effort, cannot bridge the chasm between ourselves and God. God is holy, perfect, powerful, dangerously and terrifyingly so to a people who are corrupt and imperfect and broken. But separation, suffering and death, these things that rebellion from God brought into the world, they were never part of his plan for us, not what he wanted for us. So on the most costly rescue mission of all time, God sent his only son into the world to do what the world could not do for itself. Offer every human being the opportunity to come close to God, to be reconciled to him. But this is the God who holds the universe in his hand who up until this point people had only encountered in things like fire and a moving furnace and a whirlwind and these terrifying experiences. This God who is dangerous, sometimes terrifying, always holy, perfect and completely other from us. But the moment we celebrate at Christmas is when this God comes into the world he spoke into being and it's as one of us. As it says in the first chapter of the book of John, and it's talking about the Word who was God, the Word became flesh and made his home among us." And it's to me, it's this crazy thing to get my head around, the infiniteness of God reducing himself, restricting him, no, not reducing, restricting himself to the finiteness of humanity, the limitlessness of God becoming one of us, the perfectly holy God dwelling among us, we who are not holy or perfect. And if your imagination, if you were God, if you were the king of the universe coming to earth to do the most important mission of all time, and for some reason you needed to, reduce yourself to the level of humanity to do it, you probably would take every advantage available to you. You'd steam in like some kind of celebrity with cavalcades and parades and PR team. And since you're doing such important work and you're giving up so much already, you'd probably have the best that there was to offer, the best wine and food and mod cons. You'd have a palace, you'd have everything because, you know, really you are God. But that is just poles apart from how Jesus did it. He took no privilege, but he lowered himself further still. First, he's not a strapping king riding into town like Napoleon. He's a tiny, naked baby born in a borrowed barn to parents who everybody knows were not married for nine months before the baby arrived, and this is in a culture where adultery was punishable by death. We can only wonder how the communities treated him as he grew up, him and his family, the shame and the stigma. We know they're a poor family. We know this because when they go to the temple to um, give the customary sacrifice after the birth of Jesus, instead of taking the customary lamb and dove, they give two doves, which is the provision for poor people who can't afford to take the lamb. And we know they're a out, so they would, have, they would have given the lamb if they could have. They couldn't. If Jesus was being raised in this city in this time, would he be getting one of the boxes that we're filling? The family then spent Jesus' early life on the run from crazy kings, narrowly escaping genocide by fleeing to Egypt as refugees. What a way for the King of Kings to enter the world. There are so many ways to look at this aspect of Jesus, Emmanuel. But for me, people have written whole books on it and spent their lives studying it. But for me, there are a few things that stand out to me for us today. First, God moved heaven to earth. Get close to us. He could have left us in our messes, but instead he came and he entered them and he bore the brutal consequences of them. I don't think we can begin to understand how much it cost him to come in the way that he did. And that's not even going into the cost of not just his birth, but his death, just the birth. I don't think we can understand the cost of that. And so the question for us today is: if God loved us so much, if he so valued being close to us, that he would go through all of that. What is our response? I, I, can't, I really want to say it in a New York accent, but I, I don't think I could do it justice. But when I hear it in my mind, I'm hearing it. Um, Tim Keller said Christmas is all about getting near him. Look at what he did to be with you. What are you doing to be with him? What's keeping you from being near him? A habit you don't want to give up? A simple lack of discipline? Are you just too busy, pressed down by other things? You say, I wish I had more time for prayer. I wish I had more courage. What you mean is it will cost you. What will it cost you? Another hour of the day, another day of the week. Whatever it costs you, it's nothing compared to what it cost him to get with you. What are you doing to get with him? Claw your way through anything that's keeping you from him. He clawed his way from heaven to get to you. That's the meaning of Christmas. I don't say that to put a heavy on people. I'm... But it's a, perspe- it's a perspective thing, isn't it? Yeah. And our culture might be celebrating Christmas, but the buying frenzy, the food, the decorations, the Christmas parties, all of it, they might be good things and we can totally get on board and, and join in. But let's not let our culture carry us away from the true wonder of Christmas, of what Jesus has done for us. The world, we are the counterculture so the world doesn't get to set our values, especially in this moment of wonder, this really important moment. And I know that I need to remind myself of, of this all the time, is don't, don't get distracted into oblivion, especially now with all the Christmas trapping, trappings. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a vulnerability. Don't get distracted into oblivion. how are we responding to the God who did so much to come close to us? The second thing that, that stands out for me is that when God became with us in Jesus, he wasn't just physically present, but he was completely identifying with the human condition. And we're focusing on Jesus coming to us today, so I won't go into detail about God, about Jesus' adult life and, and all that he endured. But, you know, in broad strokes, he had three years of intense ministry with dealing with clamouring crowds the whole time, always people wanting something from him, exhaustion, People planning to attack him or kill him, and which led to eventually betrayal, rejection, and an agonizing and unfair death. All of this to say is that the God that we worship, who, yes, is holy and infinite and perfect, but he does know what it is to be human. Whatever challenge or, fa- or temptation you're facing today, he understands it. He's lived the pain and challenges and temptations that he- we live. He knows. When he says that he is with us, it means that he is with us. These are not cheap words. It was cool that um, Matt referenced this passage in Hebrews last week as well. Um, In Hebrews 2, I don't know if you're going, it might be quite hard for you to follow it actually, but in Hebrews 2, 14 and onwards, it says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of devil of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters. So that we could be, he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. And then in um, Hebrews 414 to 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us firmly hold to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he has faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And the reasons for suffering in the world might be impossible for us to understand in the here and now. We might have no idea what God is doing and why. But we can't say that God is remote or unfeeling in our suffering and temptation. He has been through the worst of it so that one day we can be free of it. Jesus understands you and he understands what you are going through right now. He is with you. Thirdly, Emmanuel is God with us. Not just that he sees and knows us, but he is also with us in the sense that he is right here. Not, not just with disciples 2,000 years ago, but humanity as a, as a whole, but he is with us. In teaching his disciples, Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. And then when he was commissioning them at the end, he said, And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God with us. God is with us. We are the people gathered in his name, the ones whose identity have been defined by following Jesus. And he promises to be with us even to the end of the age, not because any of us have a Middle Eastern man shadowing us, (laughs) but because he has sent his Holy Spirit to live in his believers. We are temples of his Holy Spirit, dwelling places for God with us. Imagine if we really lived like we believed that. Really knew it, like really took it to heart. How would it change the way you think about what you're doing tomorrow? The relationship in your life that's had. God with us, what would that mean for that relationship? The worries that niggle in the back of your mind. The little choices you make every day about how you spend your time and your money and your thoughts. How would it change God with us? How would that change how we pray? I think humans are particularly susceptible to being deceived about this, to hearing lies about that God has somehow abandoned or neglected us, that he has turned away from us or forgotten us, to somehow take on the idea that we're so uniquely or especially bad that he has walked out on us, me particularly. And I don't know why sometimes it feels like he's close to us and sometimes it feels like he's far away and sometimes it feels like he's just not there at all. I don't have a fix for those feelings, even though I wish I did. But I do know that he hasn't left us high and dry even in those feelings. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And if you have the gift of tongues, then you have this um, kind of like a shortcut connection. It's... A tangible reminder of God's connection with you. Speaking in tongues is like any any time in the day when you think of it, this moment of putting your hand in God's and saying, I'm, I want to be near you. I'm turning my heart towards you. I'm open to you. And the Bible tells us that even if we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit does, and he prays on our behalf. So he, he, God is in us in the Holy Spirit and he is always connected to God the Father and Jesus right, right from here. And if you have never experienced this or want to know more about this, then we would love to, somebody here or me or pick anybody truly, we would love to pray with you um, to receive the Holy Spirit and, and the gift of tongues. Another thread of connection that God has given us is his word. We can choose to gaze on the truth of God's word and let it call us to worship and wonder at the God who loved us so much who would break down every barrier that would come between us and him, even though it meant breaking himself open for us. Being asked to speak a message like this is a blessing. It doesn't necessarily feel like it, but it forces you to to seek and find. And what you start with is seems simple, Emmanuel, it's one word, you think, oh, that, that's easy, I, I know that already, but as you start seeking and finding, you see layers and layers of complexity, and, and you can't, I can't express it all in front of you today, so I'm, I'm the blessed one, because I get all of that stuff that's gone into me for weeks now, um, and I just love how with the gospel, you can look at it from so many different angles and perspectives, and see it almost in an entirely new light. And so when I've been looking at the gospel through this lens of the theme of togetherness or separation from God, I've seen how it is woven into the whole story from end to to beginning. End to beginning? (laughs) Beginning to end. (laughs) I guess we started at the... Yeah. Um, We can see how, you know, the first people in the garden walking with God to their separation from God through their sin, through what Jesus did to bridge the gap, to... The, new, the future that God is preparing for us. And it's, that's what James was talking about before. It didn't end at what happened 2,000 years ago. It's the, it's the hope that we're holding on to. In the book of Revelation, at the very end of the, of the Bible, we see the, the prophet John showing us something about God's new heaven and earth. In Revelation 21, it says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look! God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So we are made to be with God. Our world will one day be without separation from God because of what Jesus did when he came as one of us and bridged the gap. And while we wait, we have a God who is with us right in the middle of the thick of things through his precious Holy Spirit in us. While we wait, we can hold on to these promises, encourage each other, we can lean into his spirit. So I, I want to finish with another passage. Sorry, I hope you aren't being lulled to sleep by gentle <laughs> readings. <laughs> um, a passage from the book of Romans, um, He's talking about the, the love of God, but I think it also applies to our connection to God. Romans eight thirty five to 39. Can anything ever separate us from God Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that's all I have to say about that. Um, shall we pray? Shall we stand, and, and I'll pray. And um, and after we pray, if you if you want to come and get prayer at the front, um, you are so welcome. Um, or sometimes it's nicer to, to pray with people around you. And yeah really cool as well oh thank you Jesus thank you God the Father thank you Holy Spirit that you are with us thank you for all that you did to come close to us We want to see that today, Lord. We've we've heard words, but we want to encounter you the word. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you show us those the way that you are with us in our lives today? We ask for your Holy Spirit with us and in us to encourage us. Lord, you know the the ways that we're running out. (laughs) Thank you that being with us means you understand us. We come to you and we ask you to, to fill us. And we worship you, Lord, because what you've done is amazing. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. No striving, and no mask to wear, no protection.